Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Energy Flux podcast, the first of 2022. So I wanted to start the year with a good news story. And uh, if you've listened to any of my recent podcasts or read pretty much anything I've been writing about in Energy Flux, then you might be surprised to hear there's any good news at all to talk about in the energy sector right now. Um, Certainly in energy markets, that is, in terms of what we're kind of living through. Um, uh, Yeah, the, the, the price of energy is extremely expensive and we're all suffering here in the UK and across much of Europe with eye watering bills. Um, it's a real mess, um, but there are some kind of silver linings to the doom and gloom, and uh, I want to kind of dive into what they are, or what one of them is at least. Um, but I think I probably should set the scene for the benefit of anybody who is new to this stuff, and it's all highly relevant to um, the the context in which kind of small good things are happening. It's against a backdrop of of uh of utter chaos in uh in the, the uk energy market and and this all relates specifically to the uk um it's a very kind of uk phenomenon and uh i'll explain why so the scene in the uk right now well we have had i think 26 energy suppliers go bust in the last sort of six or eight months or so and that was a result of a few major factors um, basically, the wholesale power price and wholesale gas prices soared over the last six months of the year, and they're still extremely high. At, you know, we're talking like triple-digit pounds per megawatt hour uh, for power um, uh, frequently, and you know, new records being set week after week. Um, and those suppliers who went bust were just not able to pass through the costs. Um, in the wholesale market that they were that they were paying for their their energy and um that's because we have this thing called a price cap it's a retail price cap in the UK um it sets a kind of maximum price at which uh, electricity and gas can be sold to consumers in uh, like household consumers um there are lots of details around that but that's the kind of very basic premise and a lot of these little independent suppliers, they didn't hedge their exposure. So they found they were obliged to sell um, electricity and gas uh, at the cap or at the price they'd agreed with um, with their customers, um, uh, which might have been even lower. If you offer like a fixed price deal, you might offer a discount. And uh, and then suddenly wholesale prices went absolutely insane. And they didn't just go insane for a week or a month. They went insane for, like, it's been like half a year now when things have been like significantly above the seasonal norms. Um, and so these small suppliers, they were not very well capitalized. They were kind of, at the time, seen as kind of edgy and innovative um, entrepreneurial outfits but they've kind of since been exposed as being extremely poorly capitalized. Um, they took a very imprudent approach to risk management, which, like I said, they didn't hedge their exposure to a lot of their commitments, and they got totally caught out um, by by this, this kind of eye-watering rise in the wholesale cost of energy in the UK. Um, and so they've just gone pop one after the other, 
and that all culminated with um, a supply called Bulb Energy, which I think was about the seventh largest utility company in the country, also being put into administration. Um, but because you know you can't cut off energy to consumers, particularly in the colder months, um, then the government had to intervene, and it's not a normal administration process. And essentially, Bulb is kind of operating as a state-run company. Um, so, yeah, like forced quasi-renationalization of a major utility company has happened in recent weeks and months, and it's completely not resolved. Um, there are lots of kind of issues and un unanswered questions around that. What's going to happen to Bulb? Uh, so, yeah, we've got the price cap. The price cap is going to go up in April. It gets reviewed every six months by the regulator Ofgem. Um, the next review period takes into account the price rises that occurred over the previous six months going up until January, so now pretty much, um, and prices are still high. What this means is that um, unless there's a change of policy or a big intervention by the government, then um, the price uh, of the cap will go up by an estimated 50%. And because the price cap is now really the, the the cheapest available tariff in the whole market, then pretty much everybody is on it. Because every time you roll off a fixed deal, then you go to the market and you switch. And normally there will be 15, 20 or 100 different tariffs for you to choose from. Now, they're all, a lot of suppliers don't even offer you a tariff, like the ones that are left, that is, because we've only got, is it, I think, seven, oh, is it 10, 10 util, utility suppliers left in the market? There used to be, you know, like 30, 40, 50, and they all had different tariffs, and it was, you know, like choice galore. Now it's gone the complete opposite way. There's only maybe 10 suppliers, and some of them aren't even offering you tariffs, um, and those that are, um, it's like you can fix, um, and but the fix is like much more expensive than just going with the price cap. So everybody's on the price cap. Um, what does that mean? It means that when the price cap is, goes up, then millions and millions of people across the UK are going to be paying 50% more on average to heat their homes, cook meals, turn on the lights and do everything that we do with electricity and gas in the home. And this is an absolute disaster because a 50% increase means that we're looking at the average household paying £2,000 a year for its energy, two grand a year. Um, and that's only the beginning of um, the, the price, the kind of big price rises, because like I said, it gets reviewed every six months. So the price cap will be reviewed again in October. And we know it, it's very unclear what's going to happen over over the next six months, but you can look at the forward markets and, you know, forward prices in power, in gas are, again, still massively above seasonal norms for the next six months. And so, you know, again, if there's no intervention, if according to the way the policy is currently set out, the regulations are currently set out, those costs will all be taken into account in the October price rise. And the latest estimate I've seen is that it will boost prices up to about £2,300 per year for the average household. And this is just a disaster because, you know, you're literally looking at people going cold, freezing in the middle of winter who can't afford to put money, 
particularly if they're on a prepayment meter where you have to you know shove coins in or you know top it up online before you have any supply of of power to your home those people are particularly exposed um from any increases in in energy costs because they tend to be people who can least afford it um, but even you know people who for whom energy has never really been a kind of major financial consideration it now is becoming that um and and and, and so the pain is is being felt by more people now than than really it has done for a very long time in this country um the the, the pain of of expensive energy uh, and this is really fuel to the fire of the political crisis around inflation and the cost of living, which really are going to dominate the uh, sort of political agenda, I think, in the UK for, for, for the rest of this year and probably well beyond that. Uh, and not just in the UK, of course, but I'm just kind of focusing on the UK because that's what this, this episode is all about. Um, so I've been mentioned intervention a few times. Is the government going to intervene? I think they have to, and they've pretty much acknowledged that they will, um, but they haven't said how or when or in um, what measures they're contemplating. There are a bunch of different things they can do, um, but I won't go through all of those because I think it will probably take too long to explain and speculate on what the levers are at the government's disposal to help out us poor suffering energy consumers in the UK. But um, suffice to say, uh, I don't think that there's going to be an intervention that prevents any cost rises um, to the price cap. So, you know, the price cap is going to go up by an amount and it's probably not going to be a small amount. So I think the idea that, that, that the government can avoid energy prices, you know, making driving inflation higher and just making life more expensive for people that's that's not going to that's not going to happen um the, the the question is like it's a, it's a political question really it's like you know what's acceptable right now uh what can you what does the government want to achieve um how do they want to spin it and you know how are they going to target the 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 consumers who who most need help um it's 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 not None of those things are kind of simple things to contemplate, and it's a very active discussion right now between the energy industry, the regulator, um, officials in the energy department, and um, uh, and and also the treasury, of course, because the treasury is potentially going to. Well, there was talk about the treasury backstopping or underwriting loans to uh, the the supplier sector um, to cover their losses, which are massive. Um, I think the latest estimation is that there's about twenty billion dollars, uh, sorry, twenty billion pounds sterling uh, missing from the the retail sector, and that only covers losses up to I think April when the price cap goes up. So the price cap is designed to claw back, you know, well, without you know there being other any other intervention. I think the price cap rise needs to be enough to cover twenty billion pounds of losses. I think. Um, or thereabouts. Uh, it's 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 a massive amount of money to be um, to be trying to claw back through energy bills. Um, so, twenty billion. How are they going to cover that? We don't know. Um, the intervention is yet to be determined. But I, I, I think, as an aside, I, I would probably observe that the, the the situation I've just described 
it, it has hallmarks of the 2008 financial crisis when, of course, the banking industry um, just had to be partly renationalized because they, they, they took an extremely imprudent approach to risk management. There was light touch regulation. Um, bad debts were exposed and turned out to be completely unrecoverable from uh, creditors who were just not in a position to pay the loans they had entered into. Lots of ir irresponsible lending and the regulator was kind of as much to blame as anybody else for letting it all happen. Well, there are, you know, there are real kind of hallmarks with what we're living through right now with, you know, the regulator kind of encouraging competition for competition's sake. And, you know, we had at its, at its zenith, I think, more than 50 suppliers um, all competing for your custom. And it's like, how, how, you know, who was, how was that ever a sustainable situation to be? And how is that a good thing? Because what are they going to compete on? They're going to compete on price. And so they're all undercutting each other and buying power and gas, maybe like a month ahead in, in, in spot markets. And they all got caught with their trousers around their ankles because, the, or I think the phrase is, you know, when the when the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming naked. And, you know, the, the tide went out on the wholesale market. And lo and behold, all the new entrants were, were swimming naked. They, they, they had no collateral or insufficient collateral to cover their exposure. And, and they all just went pop one after the other. And here we are kind of retrenching back into this oligopoly situation where you have you know, the kind of big six or seven utility companies who have the kind of financial depth to be able to weather these sort of wholesale uh, turmoil that we're, that we're living through at the moment. Um, and, and, and I think it's worth mentioning that as a result of competition, they lost a lot of market share and they were, because they were always a bit more expensive, they tended to be a bit more expensive. So like back in the day, it was, you know, like kind of Eon, Scottish Power, um, N Power, British Gas, EDF, and another one who I can't remember, but like they were always like when competition really began to take take hold. I mean, I've you know I've switched many times, and I've always no, I avoided them because I always knew I was going to pay more for my energy if I went with one of the big suppliers. And so I've you know I've kind of flitted from one 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 supplier to another to to get the best deal, um, which is what a lot of kind of a lot of people have been incentivized to do. Um, and now I'm on the, on the retail price cap because um, my fixed contract came to an end and, and that was it. Pff, that's, that's the cheapest thing. There's nothing else to do. So I'm on, on the fixed, fixed price cap. Um, so on the, on, the, on the price cap that will go up in April. Um, but the, the reason I mention that is because, um, you know, now like, everybody's going to end up back with the, the kind of big six or seven utilities, although they have kind of changed, the, the faces have changed, the names have changed, the kind of ownership structures have changed since since before competition was a big thing, but we're kind of still talking about the same basic structure to the market, which is kind of six or seven incumbents who, who are kind of left standing after a massive bout of consolidation in the sector. Um, but what's really interesting also is that, that these, um, uh, these companies, they're, they're, they're also expected to take on the kind of loss-making customers of the, the suppliers that failed. And, and it, it's like it's not really... Uh, it, it, when you have a, a company the size of Bulb going bust, then they 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 it's like e even for the likes of kind of British Gas or EDF, that's that's quite a big thing to take on, and so there's not really been 
the ability for them to, to to kind of absorb a load of customers who you know they would have an obligation to supply energy to but at a massive loss at the current retail price cap level so, so it, it's an absolute mess and it's only going to get worse and we're going to be living th through the consequences of what is currently unfolding i think for years um it, it, it you know it, this sort of problem just takes takes years to work through and to get to a place where the market's a bit more stable um and uh and yeah the government is going to have to intervene at some point i think to avoid uh the worst in the worst kind of impacts from all this so look at that i've been talking for 15 minutes i said you was, told you i was going to have a good news story for you so what is it well um so in amongst all all of this there's a lot of kind of doom and gloom around the energy space uh, as i said but but there is a silver lining and it's to do with wholesale power prices being extremely high and we have a lot of wind farms in the uk and they are subsidized to greater or lesser degrees and according to different kind of policy instruments and we have uh, the, the kind of latest generation of wind farms are being brought online under a policy mechanism called the contract for difference and this contract for difference or cfd as it's known is it's quite it's very simple but it's very clever in the way that it works the the cfd um what happens is if you're a developer then you um you know you you can apply to or you can you can seek to obtain a, a cfd from the government and uh, these tend to be allocated through auction rounds where you know all the different wind farms that are kind of ready to be built they all they all bid and it's like a reverse price auction so somebody bids 100 and then somebody bids below that 90 and 80 and then depending on like how much volume they want to to procure in that round and what the the look kind of lowest price is that's how they establish the kind of the number of gigawatts of capacity is contracted and everybody gets a cfd with with the price that they bid or or the clearing price if it's a bit different from from what they bid um but the idea is it incentivizes competition and you know the the price kind of goes down as the wind farms become more efficient etc um and that price that they agree is called the strike price so when the um the the wholesale power price goes uh it is it, like normally the strike price is going to be above the kind of the, the average wholesale power price because it's supposed to be a subsidy it's supposed to be a top-up and so you you know you get clearing prices of i mean you know we've had some very low ones from for new offshore wind farms that haven't been built yet but in terms of like the operational wind farms those strike prices were always like way above the kind of the the average price in the wholesale markets that you'd see for for kind of years on end so it's always a top-up and when the price would spike temporarily let's say you get a kind of very brief cold period uh where there's kind of massive demand for electricity for heating or uh, maybe there's an outage in the system and like another generator goes down and um uh, the wholesale power price spikes well if the wind farm uh can can kind of sell at that price they they will but they they're under a cfd so they pay back the difference which is what's called a contract for difference so let's say that your strike price is 50 pounds a megawatt hour 
and you know the wholesale power price is averaging 30 then you get a top up of 20 pounds um but the let's say that you know the wholesale power price spikes up to 100 pounds per megawatt hour then your strike price is 50 you will actually have to pay back as a generator as a wind farm you pay back 50 pounds per megawatt hour um for the duration that the prices are at that level um and and the way that works is that um when so like for most of the year or in fact the kind of the 15 years over which the the contract is is valid for the 15 years of which the the, the wind farm is operating then uh, you know the like the wholesale power price is kind of going up and down up and down up and down but you know 99% of the time it's below the strike price and so that that top up payment it's um it's charged back to consumers via the suppliers so these energy suppliers um who i've been talking about once once they're above a certain size once they have a certain market share i think it's, it's it might have been 200,000 customers but don't don't quote me on that i think it's about that once you have a certain number of customers then you're you're liable f to uh, to be kind of participating or engaging in this process um whereby you know you you have to um uh you know you're expected to 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 pay the the top up on the cfd back to the wind farms and the way that the suppliers do that is that they add it to the bills of their customers so you know when i pay my power bill then there's a, a sliver of it it goes to the supplier to to then pay to the the kind of eligible generators who were operational in that period and and uh, obviously this is being done by millions of consumers all over the country and those payments are there to provide a kind of stable revenue if you like to have enabled the investment to be made in the wind farm originally so the investors get involved because the CFD offers them this kind of guaranteed price um, and they offer some price stability they don't have such exposure reduces their exposure to you know wholesale volatility and you know, they bid at prices that allows them to get the return on investment that makes the investment in the wind farm, wind farm viable in the first place so they can then um, get equity investors on board, go to the banks, get lenders, get debt, um, construction finance, um, which is amortised over the 15 years of the CFD term, and they pay it back, and everybody's happy. Um, and, and that's how it normally works. But, but, of course, we're in a very different market now. And so the CFD, which was an instrument designed for this purpose is is now you know kind of really proving its worth because wholesale power prices are like i said they're stratospheric and they've stayed stratospheric for months on end now so what's happening to all these wind farms that have got strike prices of you know 40 50 60 pounds per megawatt hour when the wholesale power price has been you know flitting over well at levels well above you know triple digit levels per per megawatt hour well they've all been repaying massive sums to the suppliers because you know the contract for difference says for you know every pound above your strike price that the wholesale power price is at you pay it back and and so the wind subsidies have actually turned negative um and the payments are, are really starting to rack up now i wrote about this in today's edition of energy flux uh and let me just bring it up for you the uh so i've been digging around on a website that, that um 
the Low Carbon Contracts Company, which is a kind of government-run arms-length company that, that runs all the, the kind of the, the daily nuts and bolts of the CFD regime and lots of other things. And they've got loads of data. It's really worth digging around. If you're really interested in this, this, um, this topic, then have a look at the Low Carbon Contracts Company website. So since October 2021, then uh, CFD generators, which are principally wind farms, have repaid to suppliers more than £108 million sterling. And there are f the forecast to reach 150 million, I think. And that's for the previous quarter, so October to December, because the payments are all a bit delayed. And so the latest data is 108 million, and it could go as low as 150 million being paid by wind farms to energy suppliers. That's, that's a lot of money. But, you know, wholesale prices have not come down. And we're now into the first quarter of 2022. So what does the, the low carbon contracts company forecast? Well, they say that um, the these, what they call reconciliation payments. So at the end of every quarter, they reconcile their forecasts with what actually happened. Um, and they look at all the wind farms and, you know, their strike prices, and then they calculate who is owed what. Um, who needs to pay who and and so these reconciliation payments to suppliers from wind farms are expected to total three hundred and fifty three million pounds um, uh, for the total of the fourth quarter of two thousand and twenty one and seven hundred and seventy four million by the end of the first quarter of two thousand and twenty two so by the end of march uh, and it won't stop there either. Like wholesale power prices are not coming down. Like look at the futures markets; they're not. There's, I mean, they 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 could, they could come down, but in terms of like the forward curve and what the low carbon contracts company is basing its assumptions on, um, then they are expecting more net, uh, neg more net negative subsidy payments in f the subsequent quarters, and they have this really cool. Uh, kind of forecast graph that you can you can pull up and the uh, so for the what are we looking at here the going up to kind of October 2022 and then like the 1st of January 2023 up until the 1st of April 2023 in its base scenario then where you know the LCCC expects British wind farms to be, you know, making these payments back to suppliers. Um, so, you know, we're talking, it, it, it could well be like more than a billion pounds that wind farms are paying back to, to suppliers. And, and this is money, which, you know, they, they really, really need right now. Like I've just described the, the parlous situation of the supply sector. Um, now it's not going to bridge the 20 billion, pounds of lost money that they've managed to rack up just up until April. Um, but, you know, I think every little helps right now. Uh, and, and, you know, this is money that goes to the suppliers in normal times, then they will be expected to, um, to kind of repay it to consumers in the form of lower bills. You know, you, you, the idea of the CFD is that it benefits the consumer, it protects the consumer from excessive profit taking by wind farms. Um, uh, and that's that's exactly kind of what it's what it's doing. Although it's 
it, it, you know, consumers are not going to feel the benefit of lower prices because suppliers are simply not in a position to sell energy at anything below the retail price cap. Um, but it might, you know, just kind of help to kind of ease this this burden of losses that they're all enduring at the moment. And and, it, and it's really interesting that this this has come about in this way, and it kind of really turns on its head the the idea that you know British consumers have to you know, subsidise wind farms, or they're so expensive it's a burden on the bill. Yeah, it does make you think twice about how a clever bit of regulation, a clever piece of policy can actually reverse that calculus and um and and make make wind farms kind of part of the solution in times of adversity because wind has really taken a beating um by like in kind of right-wing press and you know kind of anti-renewables commentators because you know it's wind, wind generation has been pretty pretty poor below seasonal average recently and and uh it's it's um and at the worst possible time, that's kind of fed into the the fact that, that one, that's one of the factors that has kind of helped to support and boost wholesale power prices um, is the kind of lack of wind and these kind of long periods of still weather when natural gas prices are going berserk and and you know, we really needed like a kind of a really warm, windy winter um, when there's not too much demand and there's loads of wind power flooding the grid and electricity is like too cheap to meter and you get zero or negative pricing we haven't had that you know we we absolutely haven't had that we've just been like frustratingly low amounts of wind generation and extremely expensive gas um and and the, the, the way that the wholesale market design works is that gas or the marginal generator sets the price for everybody else so when you have expensive gas then in the UK, where we rely massively on, on natural gas for power generation, you know, it's, it's typically 30-40% of, um, of the generation mix, then you know, if, if the, the, the natural gas, like the marginal natural gas generator is the, the, the setting the price for everybody, then everybody, you know, every generator is, is generating and selling into a wholesale market that is extremely expensive. Um, and that's exactly what we've seen. Um, so, so when you think about this, it's it's like normally the, the 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 consumer is kind of making the wind farms whole. You know, the the consumer is the one who who is paying extra on their bill to make sure that the wind farm gets the the revenue it requires to cover its its debts and repay its lenders and give a return on investment to the equity investors. Well, now it's, it's expensive fossil fuels, um, uh, which are kind of jacking up the, the wholesale power price. And like those, like it, 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 they're leaning on the wholesale power price essentially to, um, to, uh, to recover their costs, um, which is kind of an interesting sort of through the looking glass way of looking at it. And so I was in this piece that I wrote today in Energy Flux. I was just I've been reading a lot of kind of commentary around the CFD and thinking, wow, like that's such a clever instrument. Um, I wonder if it could be used more widely to to, to kind of avoid the volatility that we see um, too often now in the market. And and I and I I'm on, of the general opinion that 
the, the energy transition, this clean energy transition and trying to kind of, you know, replace an old polluting energy system with a clean, renewable, variable output one is going to be extremely volatile and expensive. So we're going to see more volatility. So I think that, like volatility really is like the watchword for the energy transition. So if we can find a way to reduce that volatility, then then that's got to be a good thing. And it looks like the CFD, like certainly when it's applied in the situation I've described to wind generators, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, and the energy industry is actually looking at... Um, uh, the energy industry really is looking at uh, finding a, a way to deploy the CFD more widely. There are talks about, about CFD for the wholesale power market. So... <laughs> struggle to get my head around this it's like the government deciding what the wholesale power price would be what's acceptable to consumers and then when the wholesale power price goes above that then the uh let me, let me think about this suppliers will receive payments from the government like from the taxpayer basically um, and then when wholesale prices go below the kind of strike price for the wholesale CFD, then suppliers will return money to the government. Um, I just, I don't know, I, <laughs> I, I just look at that and my mind sort of boggles a bit, but I, I, I think that the, 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 the way to look at this is that it's kind of a step back from privatization because once you have just like one wholesale power price for lots and lots of buyers in the market then what what are we looking at it's it's like it, it looks like the old central electricity generating board um and the way they used to have a, like just decide what the tariff was for the power they would procure from uh, for the power they would sell to uh, to consumers and it was it was very clunky and it was inefficient and it and it and and, it, and the, the, you know one of the main reasons that the UK pioneered electricity market liberalization and deregulation and privatization was because that kind of a way of setting prices by the government administratively just wasn't efficient it didn't capture efficiencies and like competition was going to kind of alleviate and some of the unnecessary costs cut some of the flab out of the system and, and pass on the, the benefits to consumers um but it's funny, like we're now back at a place where, um, you know, we're an extremely distressed market and, and we're trying to find ways to stop consumers from being burdened with these extreme costs. So we're kind of facing the same problem, just in a different disguise. Um, so, yeah, I, we'll see like what, what happens to the CFD. Um, uh, I, I did speculate in my, my piece about whether a CFD would work for gas. Could you have a contract for difference for gas to stop, you know, because if, if natural gas is setting the price in the wholesale market for every other generator, um, then can you limit the price at which gasified generation would be um, selling into the wholesale market? And that way you could kind of limit wholesale power price rises. But I, the more I think about it, the more tricky that one appears, because if if you have uh, fuel costs, then they have to be recovered through through your revenue from selling electricity. Um, and so let's just say, you know, oh yeah, you you put all the gas fired generators onto 
onto a CFD and it's, let's say it's like 50 pounds per megawatt hour or whatever. Um, and so that would, you know, when the wholesale power price goes above that, they have to repay. Um, but, but like if, if the, if the price of gas that they are procuring in global markets, which remember gas is a globally traded commodity, if they are, if they can only recover 50 pounds per megawatt hour from, uh, from their, from the power generation, from burning the gas and the, 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 the cost of the fuel is, it means they got to, they, they need to sell power at 60 or 70 or 80 then those power generators they just won't they won't dispatch they'll just shut down they'll just say well i'm not going to operate at a loss because they have to cover their their costs this is why the cfd works for wind because the wind farms have no like, zero marginal costs they have zero fuel costs i mean yeah they have to return money to their investors uh, which they do over the kind of average of the year but on any given moment can you dispatch yeah because you know there's there's no reason why a wind farm would choose not to generate unless it had a technical issue or is being constrained because the grid was overloaded with power and that that's a separate issue altogether um but um you know like 99.99999% of the time if a wind farm can generate then it has in this because of this market design it has priority access to the grid because it you know it can it can just dispatch um, and capture whatever the going rate is in the wholesale power market, um, which is determined by by gas. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I I don't know. Like if I mean the CFD is very clever and everything, but can it work for a power generation source with fuel costs? I I, I don't know. I haven't figured that one out. But there are people who are much more intelligent and brighter than me who are working through this question to see if they can find an enduring answer to the problem of volatility and how to kind of spread costs between market participants because that's what the cfd in this limited case is doing the cfd is essentially striking a balance between the needs of the consumer the suppliers and the investors you know because under the previous and this is something i go into in, in today's article is like under the previous subsidy regime the renewables obligation um and this was this is what the CFD replaced, um, and it's for this reason it was replaced, because the renewables obligation was just a top-up on the top of the wholesale power price. So, you know, if, you, if, you, if the wholesale power price is, let's say, £50, and the value of the renewables obligation payment is 30 you get 80 But again, if the wholesale power price goes up to 500 then you still get 530 You know, the, 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 the subsidy doesn't reduce as your wholesale revenue goes up um, and it's happening right now where wind farms that are on the renewables obligation because a lot of them are still operating and they, they're under like 15 or 20 year contracts you know when you get these power price surges then they are just getting enormous windfall profits um, because you know they they generate power and get a top up on top of it and and the power price is is exorbitant right now um and and so that was a real kind of that was a real problem with the ro this kind of excessive profit taking and and that and in fact um if you if you look at like how much power generation in the uk is covered by the renewables obligation or how many wind farms are getting the renewables obligation payments and how many of them are getting the cfd payments unfortunately the ro 
absolutely dwarfs the CFD. So CFD payments are just a sliver on the top of the bill. But the average power bill paid by ordinary people in the UK like me, um, I'm looking at a kind of pie chart. And the renewables obligation is about, it's, what is that? It's, it's about one-sixth of the bill. So, you know, the, the, the cost, because the renewables obligation payment was recovered from consumers as well. It's a levy on the bill. So, you know, like, what is that? 15, 20% of the bill that I and everybody else pays goes to wind farms that are on the renewables obligation, no matter how much electricity costs in the wholesale power, wholesale power markets. Now, the CFD is just a sliver. It must be maybe sort of 5%, 10% or near, near 5% of the bill. Um, so unfortunately, we don't have the, the kind of cost containment benefits of the CFD um, for most of the wind farms in operation. Uh, sorry, the, the uh, renewables obligation will be phased out and those wind farms will eventually be dismantled. But yeah, it's unfortunate that we perhaps didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't switch onto the CFD much sooner than that. Um, I've been rambling on and uh, I'm just checking in case we have any listeners uh, who want to ask a question. None at all at the moment. If you want to ask a question, please um, just press the little button, put up your hand, ask a question and I'd uh, be happy to explain or just chat through any of the stuff that I've been going on about. Um, so, yeah, so in negative wind subsidies, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon um, and it's it, it's one to watch because it's only going to it's only going to kind of. I think perpetuate as I've, as I've explained. Um, but I think that's probably uh, enough for one go. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you to Quentin who is, uh, who's been listening through most of this and um, yeah, just don't forget to sign up for email updates. If you like this sort of thing, you want to read about this sort of thing, go over to www.energyflux.news, punch in your email address. You can get free email updates um and have a poke around there's lots of content there uh, lots of kind of analytical writing about the energy transition about this sort of thing um and so thank you for listening and the plan is i think for a, a, another podcast on monday when i'll hopefully be joined by a special guest um but yeah, if you sign up for email updates from energy flux then i will email out um the, the timing of shows in advance and the topics i'm going to discuss um which is what i did today about this one and there'll be another one on monday so thanks for listening and have a great weekend.